This is Pre-Sub, What's Up, Total Depravity, Part 2. Pre-Sub, What's Up? And this is Dave, and man, we have had a really good time. Uh, If you missed the first show, we began by giving you a definition of what Total Depravity was. After we did that, we began to look at a need for the topic. Uh, Again, we defined Total Depravity as God, of course, the stating stating man's state. And that is that he is dead in sin, Ephesians chapter 2, that he is a slave to unrighteousness, John chapter 8, verse 34. And of course, John chapter 6 makes it very clear that we are also a slave. Dead in our trespasses, we are a slave to sin. And of course, we sin. We are not God seekers, Romans chapter 3. And so total depravity being, um, total depravity is that man is wholly corrupt but it's not as bad as he could be. So this is not absolute depravity. This is total depravity. Um, man retains um, the image of God. Man retains that there is a law, that there is uh, something um, that would would uh, say that there's a God around him, but it's suppressing that truth and unrighteousness. Um, and it's only by the grace of God, again, that uh, man is not as bad as he could be in be- being absolutely uh, depraved. And that's what we'll get into uh, tonight. Um, But tonight, uh, as we ended the last show, we were starting to get into those real specific reasons why. And Dave kind of was talking about, you know, it's it's from scripture, it's from scripture, it's from scripture is basically um, what I was getting um, from what he was saying. And so the fact is, is the, um, ooh, there's my my kids. Yeah. Sweet. Anyway. <laughs> I'm always glad they're here, man. Yes, this is so I'm fun. glad you guys get to enjoy them, too, on the podcast. But anyway, um, the big issues, if I can find my notes. Yeah. Again, so, for the topic. Yes, he was talking about scripture, and sola scriptura is a major issue in this. Yeah, um, and this is where mm-hmm. we really need to be careful when it comes to total depravity. Because what you'll often find when you deal with evangelicals, when you talk with evangelicals, is this concept that, Oh, well, we have this free will. We do what we want. That's a really interesting concept. We want to make sure that what we believe about God is informed solely upon Scripture. Tradition is not some bad thing, but tradition and Scripture don't run parallel. Scripture reigns supreme. Mm -hmm. We have an authority as Christians, and it is the Bible. It is God's Word. So here's what you're going to find, again, in a lot of people, and I've had discussions like this with individuals, where I would begin to say, you know, who is responsible for your salvation? What's the difference between you, saved person, and what's the difference between the lost people that you engage? Mm -hmm. And the individual who rejected total depravity would say, well, I am. I'm the one who chose. And I would say, that's the problem. Scripture never says that you choose. It says that God saves, God elects, God preordains. You're responsible Mm -hmm. for acting 
and making moral decisions, you're a moral agent. And we'll get back to that a little bit more when we begin to unpack some more of the doctrinal and scriptural components. But A.W. Pink says this about total depravity. He says, and surely that which most glorifies God is to declare all his counsel, to insist on that which puts man in his proper place before him and emphasizes those portions and aspects of truth to which our generation is in most need of. I would tell you today that our generation, specifically evangelicals, those who call themselves evangelicals, are not only running outside of what Scripture says, they've created a tradition of man that is not in line with what God has declared or historically what the church has taught. And so with that, let's move into a historical understanding of total depravity. Yeah, I mean, I just, I well, hist- historically, let's look at Sola sol- Scriptura in his- history. Mm-hmm. I mean, this isn't on the list, but when you think about it, um, presuppositionalism is, an, is a reformed apologetic. Um, the whole motto of Semper Reformanda, and I think the whole issue um, with why even Van Til, um, you know, his main focus was we have not reformed our apologetic because classical apologetics is built on Aristotelian logic and Aristotelian thought. Um, that the Roman Catholic Church also brought in, and that's why, um, you know, they, remember, they're not sola scriptura, they're sola scriptura in tradition, this became tradition, and so they did not have the view of man um, that the Reformers found sola scriptura-wise. In fact, so that's why when um, we jump hmm. back to this idea of total depravity, it, it doesn't originate with Luther. Right. Luther could look back because he was an Augustinian monk. He could look back at the writings of Augustine that, again, argued with Pelagian, Mm -hmm. who said essentially that man could live without sin. And what Augustine found when he looked at Scripture was things like uh, Psalms 51, 5, which says that in sin, my mother conceived me. Mm -hmm. He could look at Psalms where it says no one seeks for God. No one is after God. uh, Mm -hmm. That, again, the stench of death is on them. Mm -hmm. Scripture doesn't present us as sick people. There is no passage in Scripture that says, while you were sick in your trespasses and sins, it is dead in your trespasses and sins. Luther was very clear in his understanding of the fact that God made Adam a free moral agent who had not made a moral decision until Genesis chapter 3. Luther makes it clear in bondage of the will, however, which he based on the arguments of Augustine that man is born a slave to sin. That's informed by passages like Romans chapter 6, verse 20, where it says things like this. Paul writing to the regenerate church at Rome says this in verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things from which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now what you have been set free from sin Having become slaves to God, the fruit you which you get leads to a gift, excuse me, leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. From a historical perspective, informed exactly from what Paul writes to the church at Rome, what does he talk about? He doesn't talk about people who were free. He says, when you were slaves to sin. That is something that happened historically. They were slaves to sin. And so Luther writes in a really simple way, and you've got the book right over there, The The Bondage bondage of the Will, writing uh, to Erasmus, 
contradicting Erasmus and the Catholic view that we had some type of free will, which is not even a concept found in Scripture. It's not in Scripture. It's foreign to it. It's been imported by an Aristotelian mindset informed by not Christian theologians, but philosophers who were anti-theist or who were deist, this idea that we have this libertarian free will not found in Scripture. Yeah. And so then we move on past the, just the beginnings of the Reformation. We go through that, and we're celebrating this year, 400 years since the canons, or the Synod of Dort and the canons of Dort that it produces. So, I mean, this is an historic doctrine um, that came about. You know, so you had the Refor- Reformation happen. You had the bondage of the will being preached, and untold depravity starts coming in. And, um, you know, then you had the remonstrance um, with the uh, not, I mean, there would be issues with uh, the the difference between Arminius and his followers that and it was his followers that led to this synod getting together their teachings um, from Arminius. Um, so they it's kind of like how Beza would have been more of a Calvinist than Calvin sometimes uh, people <laughs> say, um, but it's the followers of these uh, two sort of systems um, that this uh, synod of uh, Dort comes about. And um, but the thing is the historic. Orthodox position um, that we see coming up is total depravity. And it says, um, man was originally formed after the image of God. His understanding was adorned with true and saving knowledge of his creator and of the spiritual things. And uh, by the way, this is uh, third and fourth heads of doctrine, article one. Um, so yeah, originally formed after the image of God, his understanding was adorned with true and saving knowledge of his creator and spiritual things. His heart and will were upright. So there was a will. It was upright. Um, it was created in that fashion. All his affections were pure, and the whole man was holy, but revolting from God by the instigation of the devil and abusing the freedom of his own will, he forfeited these ancient or he, these excellent gifts, and on the contrary, entailed on himself blindness of mind, horrible darkness, vanity, and perverseness of judgment. Became wicked, rebellious, um, and oh man, I don't know that old word. Became obdurate and heart and will and uh impure in his affections and so this is 400 years ago after you had this big debacle and the church had to define um and draw that line what is sin what is the condition of man what is our anthropology yes what is our biblically informed anthropology because god is the absolute standard and so it's really important we understand the framework for Modern evangelicalism, look, the shoulders on which modern evangelicals stand begins here, Luther, right? We can go Augustine, right? Mm-hmm. We go Luther, we go the Cans of Dort written 400 years ago. Modern evangelicalism dis- derives from the Protestant yes. Reformation. And 400 years ago, these people are getting together. They're having a synod, which is, again, a gathering of theological minds. And they're writing a statement on what Scripture says about man. They're writing it as a response to those who had actually turned tail and said, no, no, we believe with the anthropology that was written by Rome, which again is what was totally rejected by the reformers. And so that then brings us to what we are. We're Baptist. And so Mm -hmm. a few years later, in 1689, the London Baptist Confession was written. Mm -hmm. And these men in London... And so, and it's not just... and the. The cool thing is, this is not just Baptist. This is the Westminster Confession yes. with the Presbyterians yes. and the uh, oh, the Declaration of Savoy. So all that happened around the same time 
during the Act of Toleration in England, um, whenever these um, minds came together and drew out the lines of their beliefs on what the scriptures teach. So, in 16, so if you're in a yeah. place where you can listen and look at the same time, pull up the 1689 London Baptist Confessions and look at Article 6, yes. where it talks about the state of man. Yeah. It says in... So, like with, yeah. with, along with the canons of Dort, it agrees. Although God created man upright and perfect, he gave him a righteous law, which had been unto life had he kept it, and threatened death upon the breach of thereof, yet he did not long abide in this honor. Satan, using the subtlety of a serpent to subdue Eve, then by her seducing Adam, who without any compulsion did willfully transgress the law of their creation, and the command given unto them in eating of the forbidden fruit, which God was pleased according to his wise and holy counsel to permit, having proposed to order it for his own glory. Then on Article 2, or in Part 2, or Point yeah. two, um, so our first parents by this sin fell from their original righteousness and communion with God, and we in them, whereby death came upon all, all becoming dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of soul and body. So historically, what we have is a very clear denunciation of this idea that God created Adam a moral being and gave him moral freedom to make decisions, but he, as a moral agent, had not made moral choices. And so this is where it becomes really important. What was the moral choice? Essentially, God gives Adam and Eve two really massive commands, right? Mm -hmm. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, Adam had also been given the opportunity to listen to God and in proving his righteousness up to this point by naming the animals, but be fruitful and multiply. We recognize that that was a very brief amount of time. There was no child conceived during this time, right? Because it would have been a child conceived without being bonded, uh, without being part of sin. Eve is also, we're not given all the details here, but in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to go back and look at those, uh, they are given an opportunity as moral agents to either listen to what God has said and being fruitful and multiplying, and also staying away from. So there is a positive, do this, and there is a negative, don't do that, offered to these moral agents. Mm -hmm. And we would recognize that there's probably a very short amount of time. I don't think the sun went down on the seventh day of creation, or I apologize, the eighth day of creation when these things have happened. Uh, There's a very brief amount of time, in other words, when Adam acts against God's will and against God's covenant, God's covenant relationship with Adam, which was the covenant of works, which was to do, right? And so as a free agent, Adam has a choice to do things. Really interesting thing. Not born a slave to sin. He is the federal head. We'll also look at scripture that's going to demonstrate that Jesus was the new, better Adam, but Adam represents all of humanity. Mm-hmm. His posterity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we get on down the line throughout history and we get down to our, say, Southern Baptist history. And so um, whenever you you have to go from the 1689, um, you get over to America, you have the Philadelphia, you have the New Hampshire, the Charleston Confessions and stuff like that. Um, that the Abstract of yeah, Principles, uh, which oh, yeah. also is written after this. And mm-hmm. then in 1925, at this Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting mm-hmm. in 1925, there was, a, probably in 24, there was put forward a, con- a motion to write a confession. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing that needs to be recognized. At the very first Southern Baptist Convention, 
all of the churches that would have been there, thank you, Tom Askell, for this great history, yeah. all of the churches that would have been there would have been those who subscribed to the 1689 London Baptist Confession yes. or a derivation of yeah. that, which would the have New been Hampshire very simple. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. And so again, uh, Tom Nettles makes it very clear that the 1844 New Hampshire is really actually a based on the 1689 London mm -hmm. Baptist Confession as well. Yeah. Um, and so the abstract of principles would also have a very similar yeah. concept. Yeah, and that, but I mean, we can look at the 1925 and see that it agrees. Yeah, and, um, we'll, and we'll do that here in a minute yeah. as yeah. we look at Baptist. So we've yeah. finished kind of looking at the historical perspective. We've also demonstrated why this is an important topic, and we've also defined what total depravity is. That moves us into this idea. Uh, if you're not a Baptist, bear with us. But yeah. if you're a Baptist, this is really should speak to you is it speaks to us why is total depravity important to baptist and our understanding of how we should respond theologically yeah, well, to mean, a culture the, the big thing is, is we're going to be doing apologetics to ourselves and the world yes in amen. this sense because of what happened um there was there's something that has happened with the baptist faith and message over time and so when like i said whenever uh, the 1925 uh, baptist faith and message agrees he trans. If you look at uh, it's Article Three, the Fall of Man, Paragraph Two, says uh, he was created in a state of holiness under the law of his Maker, but through the temptation of Satan, he transgressed the command of God and fell from his original holiness and righteousness, whereby his posterity inherit a nature corrupt. They inherit a nature corrupt and in bondage to sin, uh, and are under condemnation. And as soon as they are capable of moral action, become actual transgressors. So in those last two statements, they're already un underneath condemnation, and the actuality of their transgressions come after they make that, say, first um, actual real-time sin. But they are still, this talks about original sin is for everyone. Um, so 1925, yeah. Baptist Faith and Message. We've looked again at uh, Augustine, Luther, the Canons of Dort, the 1689, we've mentioned the 1844 New Hampshire, the Abstract of Principles. Now we're looking at the 1925, the mm -hmm. very first Baptist Faith and Message, and it clearly teaches the doctrine of total depravity, that man is dead in sin, that he has trespassed against a holy and righteous God, and he is, again, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, dead in his trespasses and sin. Mm -hmm. Therefore, he is totally depraved. There yeah. is not good and so we're talking about the will, we're talking about the mind, we're talking about our works and what we do. They all fall short of the glory of God, and if they're not done for the glory of God, they are still sin. That's right. Even though we might call them good. Yes, um, and we'll, so again, well we'll, said. We'll still get into so that. So well said, Adam. What, what happened, though, is in 1963, though, there was some language that changed. And so if we look at Article 3 on man, um, and uh, I don't think it's in any uh, paragraph form, um, it's all one paragraph, but it says, And he fell from his original innocence, whereby his posterity inherit a nature and an environment inclined towards sin, and as soon as they are capable of moral action, become transgressors and are under condemnation. So they take away, in language, the, cor the original corruption of man, and so they're not really... A really corrupted until they make that moral action of sin, which makes them actual transgressors. So not dead in sin, 
but inclined yeah, towards the that. environment and the nature. So there's been a inclined. massive change, and we can actually map it, and it's mapped out really well by uh, Dr. Tom Askell in his great book on this. That's a small book, easy, Traditional simple read. Theology of the SBC, and thank you, Tom Askell. You're the man. That's for right. Signing my book. See if I can make sure that to invite him to watch the show. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so there is this change um, that has happened. So this is an issue that, as a Southern Baptist. Um, we have to talk about, and we have to do it in uh, gentleness and respect, but we have to say the document here has changed, um, but the traditional Baptist theology was that man has already corrupt um, when they are born, and they are born in sin, and they are totally depraved in the mind, in the heart, in the actions, and everything you, they do. Um, and so this change is actually unbiblical. Uh, now, my presuppositions when I read this I have no problem with it because if it's inclined towards sin, it's going to go towards sin no matter what. So, <laughs> you know, that's right. but that's my presuppositions. Um, but unfortunately, uh, within Baptist life, um, I got a video. That yeah, can play I was hoping you'd quick. do that. And, yeah. and um, here's um, the context is Adrian Rogers talking about the problem of evil. Now, the context that I really want to show is that he uses the person that uploaded this video uses this as a refutation of total depravity and destroying Calvinism because without the T, the tulip collapses. And so I want you to hear what goes on here and then, um, and just what Adrian Rogers says. So this isn't really a shot across the bow on Adrian Rogers. This is a shot to the person who put this up as um, a refutation of total depravity. And uh, we'll uh, end up figuring, showing you how this does not refute total depravity. Doing it live. And yeah. So sometimes it takes a minute here. But let me just say this. We've seen a, a massive uh, idea that there's a tradition that Baptists have always been some way, but it actually is historically untenable. Yeah. So in order to make the argument that many who would be on the Connect 316, those who would be the traditionalist, actually are not historical. We've demonstrated that not only are they not historical in our lineage as Protestants, they're not historical in our lineage as Southern Baptist. Yeah. yeah, and here we go. Maybe. I thought I had I can it. hear it a little bit in mine, but uh, that's okay. More people are perplexed with that question, the problem of evil. All right, the let's start this while over. We're talking about evil. Why does God allow evil in the earth? Do you know, that's a great question, and I've seen today that more people are perplexed with that question, the problem of evil, than the problem of science. When I, when I uh, started the ministry, people were talking about evolution and whether or not uh, man was created. They're not that interested in that question today. They say, if there is a God, how could he allow, for example, what happened in uh, New York City, September the 11th? How could God allow the atrocities of war and the devastation we have in the world today? What about the problem of evil? And people have a little syllogism. Before God, there was nothing. God created everything. Evil is something. So God created evil. So God must be evil. That's a faulty syllogism. When God made the devil, the Bible says, in, and by the way, God created the devil. The devil is not uh, self-existent as God is. Only one self-existent. That is God. When God created Satan, he created him in perfection. God did not create evil. God created a perfect being. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 28, God said... A Very interesting little comment that he makes perfect. there. God created a perfect being. Here's no. what we actually recognize, and this is something that is historically understood as well. God created a human being in his likeness, right? We, we frequently will use the term... He did not term, create a God, but he created a creature. He did not create an immutable being, and that's very important. Immutable, yeah. again, means unchangeable. God created a free moral agent, and moral agents must act. 
And of course, Adam was our federal headship. That is incredibly apparent within scripture. In other words, Adam's actions demonstrated because as the first human being, his actions were symbolically linked to all of humanity. So when God puts him into the covenant of works, when he says, don't do this, the implications of that action of a free moral agent are representative of the totality of humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and beauty. Uh, and the day that you were created, you were perfect. He's created, created in perfection. God did not create evil. He created a perfect being. But now listen, he gave that perfect being perfect freedom. Now, why did God give the angels freedom? Why does God give us freedom? Because God wants worship and God wants love. Now, And that's the God, thing is what happens here. And I guess uh, this is where I can shoot this at Adrian Rogers. He said, God gave us freedom. That is not biblical. It's not biblical at all. Because he did not give us freedom. We are in bondage. And the only way that we have freedom is if we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit to then act out of repentance and act our works become good. The psalmist so, writes, the psalmist writes, the psalmist writes wow. in, in Psalm 14, verse 2, uh, responding to that from a very scriptural standpoint. Here's what the psalmist writes. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. Again, God is an omniscient, all-knowing a being. He knows everything. So when God looks down on all humanity to see if there's anybody who's good, what does it say in, in Psalm 14, verse 2? No he one. don't find nobody, nope. right? There is and no one that he sees. Romans and it's three. repeated in Romans Yeah. When the Bible says something twice, it's pretty darn important. In other words, <laughs> Paul based his understanding, his biblical anthropology on what was stated in Psalm chapter 14, verse 2. And when he does that, he makes it very clear. And I love what Spurgeon says in his commentary on Psalms on this. On this one verse, he says, Behold the eyes of omniscient ran of an omniscient ransacking the globe and prying among every human people and nation. He who is looking down knows all good, is quick to discern it, would delight to find it, but views all of the unregenerate children of men. His search is fruitless for all the race of Adam known on a nude soul other than an enemy to God and godlessness. Without exception, all men have apostatized from the Lord, their maker, yeah, from his loss. Replay Sorry. that real quick. Now, why did God give the angels freedom? Why does God give us freedom? Because God wants worship and God wants love. Now, if God made me where I were not free, where I could not choose to do evil, then correspondingly, I couldn't choose to do good. If I cannot choose not to love God, I can't choose to love God. If I can't choose to be loyal to God, I cannot choose to be disloyal. I would only be an inanimate object, a robot, or whatever. So God created a being. Wrong there. Yeah. God created Adam free, a free moral agent. Yeah. Again, you have to have, you have to understand yeah. this concept of a free moral agent. Adam was a moral agent who had not acted. He is the only person who had that freedom. Even likewise, had that freedom. Free moral agents who had no inherited taint from sin. Yeah. And so, uh, so basically, I know as I've said in this uh, sort of argumentation, whenever we're in in, in the uh, Baptist uh, discussions, is, is what these what these people do is they start with Genesis one just fine. They go to Genesis 3 and talk about sin just fine. And then they go back to Genesis 1, skip over to 3, and get down to you and me. And you can't do that. And that's, that's right. what Adrian Rogers did, and that's what this video implies. You didn't stole, you didn't refute total depravity. 
Um, you just asserted you did, but you haven't proven anything because you have missed Genesis 3 when you went back to Genesis 1. Yes. So, I mean, uh, you, and again, so this he is, made this a is, generalization of Adam yeah. to all men, but yeah. he can only do so by skipping what A.W. Pink calls one of the most important chapters of the Bible, and that is yeah. Genesis chapter 3. Yep. And so um, that's why it's important here. That's why it's important out there. So why is it important out there whenever you're talking to people? No matter what, um, they are in sin, and uh, they are in bondage to sin. And uh, I don't know if you want to go to Romans uh, yeah, 1 right uh, now. Yeah, let's talk about but, why this is yeah. important to us. Yeah. And I'm going to grab some scripture while I'm doing that. So uh, we have demonstrated why it's important to Baptists. Because we need to be a people of the book, a people of the Bible. We've recognized that historically we're standing on the shoulders of other theologians. But let's jump to scripture because we need to recognize that God has spoken as the absolute standard. And as Christian apologists, our understanding of humanity needs to be informed by scripture. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 where it says, God made man in his image. In other words, man is a creation of God. He's not immutable, meaning he's not unchangeable. He's a free moral agent because he has not had the inheritance of sin. But Adam does something with that. And we go to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. And that is, again, one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And I'm going to read this. Is that all right, Adam? I don't yes. want uh, to cowboy everything and take control oh, of things, right? But it says here, Now the serpent was much more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat any fruit of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, You may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest shall you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing what is good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and was delight to the eye and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit, she ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate it. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Here's where things get really interesting. Mm. I love what Pink says and what other commentators have noted. There's a lot that's not in there yeah. that we need to recognize. Um, the concept of the serpent later being said that he'll crawl on the belly of the ground, um, it is pretty apparent that actually the serpent was upright in some way. Eve most likely, again, saw him eating of this. God had spoken, and she said, ah, I'll make a decision that runs contrary. Mm. When she acts, and when, when Adam acts, they fall under the curse of sin. They are now open to the concept and the punishment of death. You shall surely die. They didn't die immediately. It was, of course, a deception on Satan's part, because he was standing there eating the food himself, and he could deceive her into thinking, see, look, I'm greater than all the other animals right now. I'm eating it. But none of the other animals are talking to Adam and Eve. But at this point, in the deceptive mode that Satan is always in, he is speaking, he is persuading, mm -hmm. he is giving this idea that if you do this, no, you won't die. Look, I am eating it too, as Satan always does. So yeah, does. he's not just appealing to the will, he's appealing to the intellect, and that's ah. the thing. So, as a uh, Van Til also says in his uh, book, page 15, of his uh, Defending the Faith, or Defense of the Faith, when man fell, it was therefore his attempt to do without God in every respect. 
Man sought his ideals of truth, goodness, and beauty somewhere beyond God, either by either directly within himself or in the universe about him. So Eve saw this tree, desired it, saw that it was good for food, saw that it was good for what? Knowledge. Intellect. And so we can go beyond God's word. Hey, God's holding something back for me. He might not be that good. Oh, let me make the moral choice for myself autonomously, not trusting God, so not having faith in God, and did this. Adam did likewise. And so this is an intellectual issue. This is an ethical issue because the intellectual is ethical. And that then fast forwards us to Genesis chapter 6. Yeah, so we, we see the building case here. from Genesis 3 to get to 6, right? So we see an unfolding of sin, 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 Cain kills Abel. Um, all this sin happens, all this sin happens. And what does ha- what happens in, in Genesis 6? Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on in the earth, and that everyone, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved his heart. Here's the interesting thing. We never find that God has changed the mind of human beings. Yeah. And then we, so we do have Genesis 6, right? Before the flood. The mind of man was evil continually, right? And then, real quick, before you jump to the end of that, then it says... In verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Is Noah every man? Yes. Yes. And then the Lord, see, the Lord acted. Yeah. Oh, God intervened into the wickedness of man's heart. Yeah, and he, this, Noah found, he found favor in the sight of and God. And that is why this should inform our apologetic. Mm-hmm. Friends, no matter what we present to the mind, to the morals, so the mind and the heart, nothing changes until God acts. So yeah. that should remind us that we should be empowered because God can act through us. Yeah. When we engage the spiritually depraved, we don't have to say, oh, we failed. We share the gospel because it glorifies God and God does right. God acts correctly. Here's what we can trust, that the Lord, the creator God, the judge of all the earth will do right. Genesis Say like 25, 14. Nice. But yeah. go for it. But yeah, I mean, and really, um, let's do a part three. Okay. Um, Sounds so good. We're, we're, at, uh, we're getting on that. Yeah. But so let's do precept, what's up, total depravity part three. Yeah, dude, that's great. And, uh, but, you know, to end this episode, you know, we've built our case. Um, we have defined things. We have shown things. And so we will pick up um, post um, flood next uh, next time, but we are or post post flood. <laughs> but the one thing is that we need to understand is that there is just like the book of Hebrews uh, uses the theme of continuity and discontinuity because it is talking about the covenants. We're talking about a covenant right now with Noah, and so we get on the other side of the flood whenever all of man was wiped out, but Noah and his family. Um, the waters recede, the land becomes dry. They come out. And Noah builds an altar to the Lord. So in Genesis 8, 20, it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of the of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. So there is first a grace in reversing what happened with Adam where he cursed the ground. 
So there is grace given because he's not going to curse the ground. So apparently, again, we're not uniformitarians. But in the same sense, we are you know we can trust the uniformity of nature because of God's promise here. That's right. So Sorry, we already I'm see the unfolding. Genesis eight twenty one. Yeah. So I yeah. apologize. Yeah. So then the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. The Lord said in his heart, "I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth." So there's really, discontinuity really there. There's discontinuity that the, that God is providing grace that He had not before. And then the continuity is still, man is evil from his youth. So, again, the Noetic covenant is really important yeah. here, too. So he, I mean, it killed off a lot of evil people, but it did not kill off evil. Evil, yes. Because human beings have no, we should be reminded that human beings, according to Vody Bachman, have no ability to eradicate evil only god can and that's the promise of this idea when we recognize that it's only through god's power that someone can be saved psalm chapter 51 verse 5 is an amazing verse when it comes to understanding our apologetic method and i'm sorry that i'm slapping over there to it i'm not using my but i'm using my bible i'm not using again right pulled up the scripture but it says very clearly and i I love this behold i was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, my mother did conceive me. Friends, when we engage a lost person, it doesn't matter how much evidence we have. It doesn't matter how much arguments we have. What matters is, number one, are we who are living a life where we are a slave to God, recognizing that those sinners are called to sin and only by God's will will they be saved. Yeah. See, I think a lot of people get discouraged about apologetics because they learn all these arguments and they present all these arguments and nothing happens. Yeah. Guess what? It's not dependent upon you. Yeah, Paul wasn't dependent on his argumentation. He said so himself that he came with feeble words, right? <laughs> you know, um, but the thing is people believed or did not believe why God's choice they were appointed to believe, right? So, um, in conclude, I mean, I don't know how you want to conclude. Yeah, let's go ahead. I mean, and next time, right next time on the Tag Your It podcast, um, we will we will further, get together and we'll get into that very intricate application of what telepathy means in our apologetical approach and how to take account for that when we're talking in everyday language uh, with people on yeah. the subject. Yeah. So that is episode two of Total Depravity. Yes, priest episode. This is the Tag Your It podcast. I'm doing it backwards. I'm Dave. And I'm Ray Ray. He's Deo. Gloria. Gloria.